New Photic Realm announcement. Uh, submission windows for upcoming issues. Issue 10, the theme is justice. That's hard-boiled fiction with a supernatural twist. The deadline for that will be April 1st, 2020. Issue 11, the theme is kaiju. Giant monsters terrorizing civilization. Deadline will be October 1st, 2020 for those stories. Issue 12, the theme is lycanthropy, which is, of course, self-explanatory. Um, it can be any type of animorph with a bloody twist. Uh, so I guess that's werewolves and Jesus, giant, I don't know. What do people turn into? Seals? I've just got a little seal on my desk, so I thought of that. I don't know. You have to be more imaginative than I just was. Uh, but the deadline for lycanthropy, January 1st, 2021. Good luck to everyone submitting. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo My guest this episode is Jonathan Fortin. He's the author, uh, most recently, of Lilithu, Memoirs of a Succubus. It's a novel out now with Crystal Lake Publishing. It's set to be the start of the trilogy, if everything goes well. Um, it's great. It's like a Victorian-era gothic fantasy uh, that explores contemporary themes such as uh, gender issues and, and, and body and sexuality and... Um, it's it's a lot gives you a lot to think about um i really hope that you will check the book out i hope that you enjoy my conversation with uh, jonathan um if you are you know if you want to be on the show if you want to tell me anything about the show you can always get in touch with me using losing the plot podcast at gmail.com and i look forward to hearing from you but that's all from me for the intro chat so here is the conversation i had with jonathan fortin how is your day going Oh, it's good. It's good. Uh, is, is it is it really late for you over there? It's uh, nine p.m., but it's still light outside. So oh, that's cool. You're you're in Norway. I am. I'm in. I live in Stavanger, uh, though I'm from the UK. Nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I visited uh, Oslo back in 2017, I think, and I really liked it there. Uh, oh yeah. Here in uh, California, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. But um. Oh, what took you all the way to, I suppose, Europe, right? Did you did you see Norway? Did you see other places? Um, so I went to both Sweden and Norway because um, I'd, uh, I, well, first of all, I wanted to visit Europe. And I'm really into metal and Vikings, and that's the place to go for that. Um, I also had online friends in both countries and understood that they, you know, it was pretty easy to find English speakers in them. And mm -hmm. lots of things I wanted to see, like in, uh, in Stockholm, there's, this place uh, called Skansen, where uh, there's lemurs that can climb on you and stuff. It's like a an open lemur enclosure, and I really love lemurs, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go to Sweden to see lemurs, and <laughs> just a random thing, but you 
there's a lot of a lot of little things. Yeah. That's wild. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, but okay, but you're are you you're from uh, San Francisco? Yes, yes. Or more specifically, mm-hmm. Oakland, but you know, more more Oakland, or less. Okay. Cool. I've heard that's a lovely place. Um, it it's kind of mixed because um, we. It, it it was lovely uh, about a decade ago, or a little bit of no, actually no, a little bit later. Than, I mean, look, basically what happened was the tech industry boomed, and we became ridiculously overpopulated with an insane housing crisis, a pretty much entirely broken economy. Um, mm-hmm. The only way you can you know not be living in a like I'm living in a house with six people right now, and uh, the only way you can either not be living in a house with you know seven people, or living with your your, your parents well into your 30s or 40s is uh if you work for a a tech company because there's mm-hmm. so many billionaires um and millionaires who live here and yeah. uh, they just kind of ruin it for everyone else <laughs> oh that's wild yeah um cool yeah well you must well you must have seen that shift then having lived there your whole life mm-hmm. definitely it completely changed and it, it got much more crowded um, and I graduated from college just as the job market had, you know, the, 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 the 2009 recession, um, cause I graduated in 2010. And, mm-hmm. um, so, uh, definitely I was, I was starting to see the, the impacts that pretty much just at that, at that point. And then they kind of only got worse, not better. And all the mm-hmm. fun, like a lot of people, a lot of people left. Um, and all the the kind of fun, cool, alternative, weird shit that made San Francisco what it was uh, started to disappear because no one could afford it. And now with the coronavirus, oh. everything's fucked. <laughs> oh no! Okay, because that was going to be my next point. It's quite a cool, like, hipster place, Auckland. Um, in some ways, uh, it it's it's interesting because like you'll have like the um. You'll have the, the 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 hipster vegan juice bar where they'll sell and sell thirty dollar avocado toast, and then mm-hmm. literally right down the street there will be like fifty homeless tents. Um, and you know it's it's kind of like they try to have the the upscale stuff right next to the they'll they'll have all that right next to the places where people are genuinely struggling and would never be able to afford any of that. And so it's it's all just kind of this huge clash of completely different um, economic standings. And uh, and a lot of it is, is there, we have a huge problem of gentrification here, basically, mm-hmm. where you know the people who, who were here before are being thrown out of their homes and not being able to afford the places that are being erected, erected instead, because yeah. there are for people who, you know, make over six figures a year <laughs> so mm-hmm. which I, I realize probably doesn't make sense if you're not not an american don't know how what what the what what, what our economy is like here but um it's messy <laughs> 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 um i mean i i get the impression it, it seems like it's all i read on twitter it used to be the place for like funny 140 character jokes now it's all just like billionaire anger <laughs> so yeah. pretty yeah. much i i really uh find twitter hard to be on just specifically writer twitter because it is always so depressingly political and it's important stuff to talk about and i usually agree mm-hmm. with, what I, with, with what i'm reading it's just um 
for for a, for a mental health standpoint. It's just kind of like this isn't. <laughs> yeah, it just it, it transforms so quickly though. It it genuinely isn't a fun place to be anymore, and I don't think that it's like. I don't know how you sell books on Twitter. I don't know if it's even worth it for that. I think you just have a handle to keep publishers happy and then don't use it. That's that would be my advice. <laughs> yeah, that's probably I mean that that's that's probably accurate. I mean it's like I, I try to I try to post things. I'm never able to get too many Twitter followers. It's like I'll see some people and they'll get you know, they'll they'll have thousands and I've never been able to get that many. Um mm-hmm. and it's like on some social media I'll um I'll get I'll get more, more followers. So I've been, you know, having more luck on, on like Facebook or Instagram, um, just because I, I tend to get more followers on there, but I guess my tweets aren't mm-hmm. that. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, I, I got more when I had some sort of, when I had some legitimate publications and then I figured it was cause people wanted me to help them do that. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh man, this is a racket. <laughs> yeah. But, um, it's- the circle yeah. jerk. <laughs> <laughs> really Sorry, is. I don't know if I'm allowed to use that word on your on your thing. <laughs> you can uh, use you can use whatever word you want. And also I edit this later, so just say whatever the hell you want. I will cut it. I've heard some people have been fortunate enough to tell me some incredibly egregious things that I just snipped right out because I'm interested <laughs> only in um I'm interested only in, you know, the interesting stuff, but not not drama at all. So yeah. Feel free to say have a tab anything you like you're safe like, with me jonathan ford used the word clusterfuck oh god <laughs> <laughs> it was circle jerk actually but now you've used clusterfuck circle jerk. Also. oh yeah yeah i'm sorry I'm not <laughs> um, <laughs> a whole bag of this shit <laughs> <laughs> since we were talking about it we started talking about auckland and stuff you you have this interest in dressing like a victorian gent is there mm-hmm. like particular clubs that you can do that in um, yeah, so there's, um, I'll go to goth clubs and then there's also like, um, you know, Victorian events, like, uh, there's, there's this thing called the Dickens Fair. Um, there's the mm-hmm. Edward Glory Ball. Um, there's, you know, various, various places where, where people will dress up in period clothing and then, you know, waltz or whatever. Um, and I tend to hang out with, um, with a lot of goths and alternative people. And the Bay Area, fortunately, does still have a lot of alternative events and a sizable enough alternative scene, even if most people in it are struggling. Um, so we, I, I and a couple of friends of mine will sometimes uh, dress up all in like pretty aristocratic or or like gothic Lolita outfits, and then we'll get tea at at like tea shops, you know, or they'll have they'll have all the, you know, the 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 pretty aesthetic Victorian home where they'll, where they'll, where they will serve you tea and then various, you know, biscuits and crumpets and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's all, it's all very fun. I don't dress up like that every day. I certainly don't, you know, go out on the street and be like, oh, I'm going to go flaunt at this Victorian outfit <laughs> in the middle of Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show up to specific events where I won't feel self-conscious about dressing up that way. Oh. Yeah, of course. Is this something you like? You always did. Were you a goth at school, and then you just stayed a goth? You know, it's it's like I I identified as a goth pretty much most of my life, but I never I didn't really dress up the fact back in I didn't really dress up gothic back in high school or middle school and all that just because I didn't um I didn't have the money to spend on the clothes and I wasn't really interested in doing that. 
So it was more just kind of like, I'm a goth because I know that I'm, I'm dark and tormented and inter- interested in stuff. <laughs> and then yeah. like later on when I, you know, was, was in college, I was like, oh, wait, what if I actually started dressing the fat, dressing up that way? That would be actually pretty cool. And then, so yeah, it's always been kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and how about the interest in Victorian literature? Of course, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like not, not, not everything. I'm not as scholarly about that as I would like, just because, um, you know, there's some things that that age better than others. Of course, Dickens and Wilkie Collins and all that. Um, and of course, a lot of neo-Victorian literature stuff, where it's it's written from modern day, but um, about about the Victorian era. So, mm-hmm. for example, one that I really got into was um, uh, The Meaning of Night by Michael Cox. I think that was really one of the things that really awakened a lot of my, my interests in that. Um, uh, Drood by Dan Simmons was also very good. Um, and of course, all, right right when I was getting into all that stuff, that's when you know steampunk became a thing, and now it kind of, that airship sailed by now, but... Uh, but but you know for for a while that was that was part of that too and then it was everyone just kind of got like i I guess a little sick of that and i was like you know what but but victorian gothic is still cool so (laughs) (laughs) and um what is it that what is it that has captivated you about that era so i think that it's it's kind of visually very interesting in some ways, in terms of the outfits, in terms of the gothic architecture, um, there's just kind of a general spookiness, but also psychologically, it's very interesting as well. Um, and this is something that I get a lot into in in, um, in my book, uh, Lilitu, The Memoirs of the Succubus. It's mm-hmm. uh, set in the Victorian era, so it does have that aesthetic, but the main reason why I set it there was more because of the Victorian viewpoints on gender and sexuality and repression, and I was very interested in exploring the uh, the gender roles of the period and just kind of ex- ex- kind of exposing that because there's so many times where you know you'll you'll, you'll talk to people that are like, oh yes, I, I wish that I was born in the Victorian times. I wasn't born. I, I was born in the wrong. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, dude, no, it was horrible back then. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, when I was planning to like write a book about succubi and incubi and Mm -hmm. i ended up deciding to set it in the victorian era because i thought that having succubi and incubi if you're having something that's specifically about them it generally if you want to have any depth and not just be porn there has to be an element of exploring sexual sexuality and gender and to set that in, in an era where these things are extremely strict and where everyone grows up with Madonna whore complexes and where, you know, sexualized women are generally punished then mm-hmm. to have the main character who is a succubus, um, but also a, a heroic succubus flies in the face of that and kind of, you know, inevitably has to navigate the, um, the, the difficulties of that culture as well as, you know, th- th- this being a culture that she grew up in. So mm-hmm. both side and within psychologically, what she's dealing with. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm just looking at the cover here, and it seems like. Did you advise on that? Because she's got a very Victorian style dress. Oh yes, yes. No, I did. Um, 
so I'm very finicky about cover art. <laughs> and okay. um, I was I was a little when I when I sent it in and, and got my publisher and all that, I was like, okay, if I can talk to the cover artist directly, I would appreciate being able to do so because I want to make sure that we don't get a cover where it's just like, here's a bunch of cleavage and then a naked McMahon chest. And then, yeah. you know, I was just like, I, I don't, that, that's not what I want. Um, I want something that it portrays this as being like this epic, dark, gothic fantasy. And, um, and also because it's all very visually distinctive in my head, I wanted to make sure that that came through the cover. Um, so when we came, when it came time for us to, to, um, get in touch with the cover artist, um, uh, Crystal Lake Publishing allowed me to talk with him directly. Uh, his name's Ben Baldwin, and um, and he, you know, was like, hey, so what, what, are you, what, are, what are you thinking of? And I'm like, okay, here's what I'm picturing. And I gave him a couple different ideas, and um, he's like, cool, cool, let's try this. And then he gave me the sketch of what, like, what he was thinking, and I was like, okay, that's awesome. And maybe we can do this slight adjustment to her face or something like that. He's like, okay, great. And was just super accommodating. And hmm. um, so, you know, we ended up with something that, that I think all of us were super happy with. I am overjoyed with how the cover looks personally. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looks, it looks beautiful. Um, I'm, what is it? Uh, so is there much like, literature on Succubi already? Or is this... Like it's mostly like a pornographic thing, or there's what not a references lot of, do you have? There, there are some books about succubi and incubi. I, I don't, I don't want to say that there's a lot of good ones. Um, there are some, but um, but there, I've, I've read a lot of bad ones. There aren't as many books about them as there are about vampires and um, or or werewolves or you know mummies or angels or whatever. And I think um, one of the reasons why is that they're a little more explicit about what vampires are more symbolic about. Because um, when you have, you know, vamp vampires often represent sex, but they really feed off of blood. Versus succubi and incubi in particular feed through sex. So through the exploring that in a way that isn't pornographic is something that I think a lot of people were kind of just like, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. And I'm like, okay, but I'm just going to be looking at this from the standpoint of exploring society's attitudes about sex, exploring, you know, how, and, and, and also about gender as well as um, a lot of focus on, on the more mytholo mythological and folkloric aspects of succubi and incubi that often mm -hmm. are looked. So like, if you look at like a typical succubus book, a lot of the times, they don't enter dreams. They won't have wings or horns or any of the other, you know, cool things that make them what they are. Uh, versus mm -hmm. like, like listen to a black metal album or see like a, you know, art of succubi. They always have. They always look very demonic. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I want, I want my succubi to be, you know, somewhat demonic, still humanized, but I want them to be able to enter dreams, and I want to have a lot of cool dream shit. So. You know, like the main character, Morena, ends up um, training to fight within dreams, kind of Matrix style. She still has to build up her, her body muscle outside in the real world. But um, because, you know, in dream time, it, it moves at a different rate, she can get months mm -hmm. of training within weeks. Um, just, you know, from, from building up her, her muscle memory while she's in the dream world. So a lot of cool shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I noticed that you say that this uh, the series is going to explore how nightmares are normalized in oppressive societies. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. and um, there, that's very much a case. So, with um, with Lilith through the Memoirs of a Succubus, uh, one of the early things that happens in the story is demons, vampires, and other dark creatures more or less take over Victorian England. And so the upper class becomes demons, the people who weren't already, and the lower classes remain mortal and are enslaved. So as a result, a lot of nightmarish things become normalized. However, at the same time, all the other horrible Victorian stuff that was there already never really went away. So it's more just kind of taken things that were already there and then making them more obvious. So there was already classism, there was already sexism, you know, there was already child labor in the factories, and mm. now it's just more obvious because the people that are in charge of it all are literal demons. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, but because we have all this, all these various monsters running around, it means that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of dark magic. You know, there's there's dark bloody rituals. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, dark crumbling castles. There's tentacles. It's all just, it's, it's all very twisted. Mm -hmm. um, so did you do much, like, explicit research, or was it just mainly based on things that you had happened to read as a reader already? I did have to do a lot of research, um, just because inevitably when you're trying to make sure something that feels, something feels authentically Victorian, um, you're going to encounter a lot of, there, there's going to be a lot of times where you're like, wait, was that invented yet? And also, yeah. what, what, realistically, how would this work? Um, and so there's a lot of little things that I encountered that, that I tried to, you know, incorporate without it distracting from the story too much if it didn't, you know, help prove my point. Um, but also, there were, you know, there's a lot of things inevitably where you where you can't quite uh, it, it can be tricky to find the the answers that you're looking for um, unless you're really thorough so like for example I was interested in when I what there were there was a there was a character who um, is, a, is a black woman and I wanted to explore the experience of people of color in Victorian England I didn't end up doing very much of that just because it, a it wasn't my place to do it but I still want to, you know, mention or at least touch on that. Um, but when I was trying to research the experiences of, of people of color in Victorian England, I found that there weren't as many sources on that as I was hoping. And um, because they were around, there were there were a lot of black people there. It's just that um, when you try to, you know, research it, there's not a lot of information that can be easily or readily accessible, at least not that I was able to find, because those people hmm. weren't people that were being given a voice you find yeah. photos but um you know there's it's it's uh it's frustrating the things that we don't know and the experiences that we're not you know being given glimpses of yeah yeah interesting um and i i see also that Anne rice seems to have been an influence here yes to an extent um just because you know i think that basically with uh with Vampire Chronicles, Anne Rice was very much interested in trying to humanize the vampire and psychologically explore 
um, what it would actually be like if someone became a vampire. And um, that's very much what I'm doing with, with succubi and incubi. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, you know, there's also similar, you know, gothic historical aspect. Um, mine's a, I mean, Lilithu is, is a little more action heavy than, than Vampire Chronicles. Um, mm -hmm. And unlike with Vampire Chronicles, I don't, I, my characters are never going to find Jesus at the end. Taken <laughs> <Which is laughs> with, with, uh, with Lestat, which um, a lot of us are not quite very happy with. <laughs> but, you know. And this is, uh, it's going to be a whole series. Yes. Um, right now I'm planning on a trilogy just because I, I don't, I, I have other things I want to work on as well. Um, I haven't, uh, I'm not too far into, into book two yet. Um, I'm juggling a couple other projects and, uh, but there will be a series. Um, I am, I do have plans for the sequel. I do have the rough skeleton. It's just, um, right now my brain's kind of focused on, on some other stuff. Um, so I don't know exactly when, when the next book will be out, I'm afraid. And I'm not certain how many books it's going to be in total, just because when you're working on it, when you're, whenever you're working on a big series, I find, um, you can plan things out all you want, but sometimes things don't go how you plan. Sometimes characters don't, you know, do what you want them to. And sometimes yeah. you underestimate how much time some subplots will need to really develop. Um, so it's like I have, you know, the structure and I have lots and lots of ideas and I know generally how they're all going to take shape. It's just mm -hmm. um, the actuality of, of actually writing it. Things may evolve. That's just the reality of writing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I mean, you don't know what those books are until you sit down to write them. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I see also that there, there was a lot of musical inspiration when you were writing this book. Yes, that's, that's correct. Uh, so I, I listened to a lot of, uh, a lot of movie soundtracks. I listened to a lot of, uh, French neoclassical when I was writing it. Um, there was a, uh, there, there's, there's a couple bands like Virgin Black and Alend and Dark Sanctuary. But I also um, ended up just coming up with this this whole soundtrack for it, where I had to. There were a lot of things I wanted to include, but I didn't because I tried to, you know, keep it at like you know, however whatever length you could have for for it being a disc like a movie soundtrack. So yeah. you know, some some things it's like you know the lyrics are appropriate, but a lot of time it's also just the feel, or you know, there's like a scene where in my head I can see it playing, or if, if this was a movie, you know. Yeah. Um, who would direct it? That would be hard to answer <laughs> because uh, well, my favorite director is Guillermo del Toro. So obviously, uh -huh. you know, if we could get someone like him, that would be amazing. Um, but of course, he has this massive list of projects, so I, it's hard to picture that happening. <laughs> sure, but you can you can still have a dream director. That's allowed. Uh, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> um so is it is this the first novel that you've ever written um that's not the first novel i've ever written it's the first that i've had published and it's the first that was worth publishing yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, because course. you know inevitably there were i wrote my first novel trilogy when i was in high school and um mm. it, 
wasn't good. <laughs> it was good for someone who was in, you know, middle school, high school, but um, but as as far as being something that I would try to publish now as an adult, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, like, it, it doesn't... The thing I noticed now is, like, either you write something that's good enough to get published or you don't, but either way, you will look back at it cringing. So it doesn't really matter one way or another, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, in, inevitably, there's always going to be some things where you're like, you know, that's not entirely how I want it to be. But, you know, after a certain point, you got to accept that it's never going to be 100% perfect in every respect. Um, yeah. One thing I notice as well a lot while editing books is, you know, when you seem to fix one problem, you introduce others. So... Like, I'm editing another novel right now. It's unrelated to Lilith 2. It's, uh, I'm, I'm basically working on the second draft. And mm -hmm. I have this whole list of all the changes I want to make. And sometimes it's like, you need to add this scene and or add this this snippet of conversation to this you know scene that's already, already written. And then I'll try to do it and trying to make it fit in organically, and it doesn't work. And... Um, and so I'll be like, but it feels like it's really important, but then it just ends up causing more problems than it ends up being worth. And then you're like, maybe I should just focus on what it already was when it felt more organic. Because trying mm, yeah. to make all these changes that feel less organic can take away from, you know, the reality of, of what this is. It makes it slightly less true. Oh, definitely. I think that like, if you're far enough removed from a project, you can look back at it and be like, well, I wouldn't have written that now. And then you're like, well, maybe that's the point. <laughs> mm, you know? That's a good point, too. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It, it's um, You're just, uh, we're, we're always just doing our best. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, it's changing. Yeah, definitely. That's, yeah. Um, you, you attended Clarion West in 2012. Uh, I didn't clear. I didn't. It wasn't Clarion West. It was uh, just a Clarion Writing Workshop. Uh, Clarion West is the one in Seattle, versus uh, just the Clarion Workshop is the one that's in San Diego. Oh, it's okay, weird okay. because yeah. they're both in. They're both on the West Coast, <laughs> but I think I think like originally the the workshop wasn't in San Diego. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, I did. I did attend that in in 2012. Um, so. We, I, I had just graduated from, from college, like, you know, like a year, year before and was, um, uh, we, we had, so, so for people that haven't, you know, don't know about Clarion, it's like, it's a six week writing workshop, uh, focused on science fiction and fantasy. And every week you write a short story with the other 17 students who get in and they all critique it and you critique theirs. And um, every week there's also a professional writer in residence who um, also critiques it and, you know, generally drives the direction of that, that mm -hmm. week. And um, so we had, we had uh, Ted Chang, we had Holly Black and Cassandra Clare, we had Delia Sherman, um, Walter John Williams, and Jeffrey Ford. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, of course we had some, some really amazing writers, um, both, both in the workshop as well as, you know, teaching us. Um, and I think at that time, Lilitu had just, I, I had it in some early draft and I was trying to get an agent, but I couldn't, it was too long. And I don't think I was mature enough 
as a writer to really recognize some of the flaws that were in the manuscript mm-hmm. uh, at the time. I kind of I kind of wish that I'd gone to Clarion when I was a little older, um, but in some ways I also think that going there probably grew me up, you know, if if that makes any sense. Um, because I was a much better writer, it just also uh, was emotionally very very taxing. I, th- I think I think by week four everyone wants to kill themselves <laughs> because it's just <laughs> you gotta it's it, it's it's uh you gotta learn to, to develop thick skin there because uh, every week you're tearing each other's stories apart. So. Right. So what you like sit in a circle of 17 people all, and they all just tell you you're bad. <laughs> uh, 18 people. Well, it's like you, I mean, cause, cause it's 17 plus yourself. Um, but yeah. yeah, pretty much. Um, but except then there's for some stories, then, uh, there's like, Oh my God, I love this. This was so good. I might suggest this one tiny thing or it might be, I've got nothing. So, so like every so often you'll get those, get those. So it kind of, everyone gets like, Oh, come on. I just want a story. People love. I just want to write a story. People love. Come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, that, that's, that's usually not what happens. Um, socially it was a little challenging for me as well, because, um, when you're around the same 18 people nonstop for, for six, for six weeks, um, yeah. you know, their dynamics can, can form. And, um, you know, it can be socially challenging for, for if you don't entirely fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was there? Is there any other students that we know of? Um, yeah, no, there's, there's a couple, um, who were, who've gone on to be very successful. Um, Sam J. Miller, um, was one of the other students. Uh, oh, yeah. Carmen Maria Mercado, um, Lara Elena Donnelly, um, we, 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 there, were in, there was a, there was a bunch of others, but those are the ones that have, you know, had like the novels and you know the awards and all that. So yeah, ah, that's cool. I didn't know you were there at the same time as them. I've wanted to uh, interview Sam as well. I've started to chat to him about that. I know that he seemed to love it and was very sad after it ended. Uh, was that? Oh yeah. Uh, how did it? How did it work for you? Um. <laughs> Not the same. <laughs> no, I was I was kind of I was kind of glad to go home, um, just because um, I think uh, for for he and a lot of the other people there, I I think really connected extremely well with each other, and mm-hmm. uh, I really wanted to be a part of that. Um, mm-hmm. And there were some people who were very nice to me, um, and you know we've all kept in touch, but in general, there wasn't. Uh, I I I kind of I kind of wish that I was a little more of, of a mature emotional level when I'd gone there because I think I took to heart things that I probably shouldn't have. Um, yeah. And I think emotionally just was very uh very very just kind of miserable through a lot of it because I just really wanted um to fit in better than I did and I wanted people to like my books better than better than they did and I wasn't yeah. ready so. But That's it was fair. I mean, I asked so much about it because I've been thinking about doing it myself at some point, mm-hmm. um, if, if they'll let me. But also, like, I, I don't know, it's, it's nice to hear your perspective because I think all of us tend to dream that somewhere there's a group of, like, your people hanging out without you. And I always assume mine are at the, that workshop 
so, but maybe they're not you know <laughs> you, should, you should totally go um it's uh it, you, you'll be a much better writer for it and i think that for you know if, if those are your people if you go the right the right year um then you know those are writing contacts that you have forever um mm -hmm. so i mean it's it's like uh i think i think they a lot of people there have have there, there were definitely some people there who in the year i went with who you know i'm obviously going to I'm still in touch with everyone. We're all still going to be writing contacts. Uh, there's some people who will actually, you know, per, you know, are, are a little friendlier to me than, than others, but, um, yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> well, that's just an accurate description of life in general, I think. Um, yeah. but yeah. Um, how about in Oakland? Do you hang out with other writers there? Yeah, no, I used to have a writing group, um, and uh, now I'm in a different writing group with some of the same people. Um, and we, uh, so so for about seven years, so I went I went to San Francisco State University, right? And um, mm -hmm. part of, I mean, so, so when I went there, I found that a lot of times they the university didn't really. This, the creative writing department was not fond of science fiction, fantasy, or horror. Like there were some really amazing like English classes. Like there was a English class specifically about vampires. There was a comparative world literature class about fantasy. The creative writing department, not not so much. They were less about sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. So me and a bunch of other disgruntled sci-fi fantasy writers all ended up forming a writing group together, and. Um, and we were meeting for a good seven years, and then it just it just kind of it just kind of fell apart because people weren't weren't be able to make the obligations. Um, mm -hmm. Now I'm in. I've we've we've recently formed a a new one with some new people, um, and some of the people from the old one, and some of the other people from the old one. I'm still meeting for like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. So <laughs> just um, there is there is a a community here. Um, yeah, there's some people who I know, and there's lots of people I don't. <laughs> um i've heard dungeons and dragons can be quite a good like creative exercise oh yeah no it's a lot of fun if, if, mm -hmm. if you're if you're with creative people who you can kind of build off things with um yeah. you all have like the right energy because like if you if you if you if the creative energy isn't right and um and it's just it's just not gelling. That's one thing. Versus like if you if you're with a lot of people and they're willing to just say yes and and then make it make it even more ridiculous in some way, <laughs> it'd be very fun. <laughs> so like we have this uh, we're doing a Curse of Strahd campaign. This is actually my first uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign, and we've been doing it for sometimes sometimes since last year, and um, and we're just encountering all sorts of crazy things and having all sorts of ridiculous adventures and. I'm sure some of it's from the book, but some of it I think is just pretty pretty organic to what what our group is is about. Mm -hmm. yeah. I I see also that you do some voice acting. Yes, yeah. So I go to a uh, I, I go I go to a voice acting school in Sausalito uh, called Voice Tracks, and um, I've been going there for about four years now, and I also audition on a website called Voice One Two Three, and Voice Track has been a really amazing place as far as being able to, get, you know, let me stretch my my acting muscles while 
also learning a lot and making contacts. Uh, I love the voiceover community. I find a lot of it is, is very, very kind, very helpful. Um, and I, I, of course, I could say the same thing about a lot of people I know in the local writing community as well. Um, but like, uh, you know, right now things are, are a little weird for voiceover just because uh, of Corona. Everything's kind of on hold. <laughs> just like with everything else um yeah but it's it's always something that i that i really enjoy doing because um i love acting but i just don't always have the time commitment um and i I don't always like wearing makeup and i have long hair and a lot of a lot of male roles want you to cut your hair and I'm, i don't really want to do that and i don't have to do it with voiceover mm -hmm. so <laughs> nice <laughs> But have you done like other theater stuff or? Yeah, I did. I, I've I've done theater. Um, I've been in a couple short student films. Um, I've never been in a feature. Um, I would like to someday. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's um it's always been the sort of thing where like uh, I don't I don't haven't done a ton of actual paid acting work just because you know I also have my writing and then I also have my day job and juggling three professional careers is, is tricky um but i've been doing what i can to try and slowly escalate my my voiceover career as i feel ready you know mm -hmm. it's like i'm not trying to i was like okay i'm not going to audition yet because i don't feel like i can perform at the professional enough level that i want to quite yet yeah. um but now i'm at that point where i'm starting to feel more comfortable doing that so i'm doing a lot more auditioning and I got cast in a couple small video game roles. Um, nice. Yeah, so so it's been fun. That's really cool. Just, like, with anything creative, there's always a way to just invert it and punish yourself. So, like, you can start off being like, hey, I really think voice acting is fun. And then in a few weeks, you can be like, I haven't voice acted in days. I'm worthless. I don't deserve to voice act. And then you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's, I, I don't know, I, but I... I think to any creative listening, I would just recommend just don't go there. There's nothing for you. Like there's nothing productive for you in that headspace. Just stay out of it as much as possible. Yeah. Um, it's the same with writing, but we're, weirdly yeah. enough, they've, they've both been helpful in helping the other because um, one thing that, one thing that's a mantra with, uh, with voiceover is, is it's a, it's selection, not rejection. So when you don't win that audition, it's possible that you could have got, done a grade A performance, but um, it's just for whatever reason, not what they were looking for. Or mm -hmm. it's, um, so for example, you have two talking hamsters in a commercial and they ha decide, they settle on one particular kind of voice for this hamster, for hamster A. But hamster B, they want a voice that most contrasts with the other one. So maybe they go for the voice for hamster B that you know went in a completely different direction than the direction you were going but that doesn't mean your direction was any less valid it's just that a matter of balance um and i think that the same definitely applies to like to publications when you're trying to get like your short story published because yeah. um you know maybe you're 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 trying to get into an anthology and maybe they have too many other stories in that anthology with kind of the same general vibe and you're, they're trying to create as much diversity as possible there. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely applies. It's not um, rejection doesn't mean that you did anything bad. And also, I've heard that like with acting auditions and so on, your job is just to demonstrate what you do rather than to get the part. Because getting the part mm. is out of your control, but demonstrating your prowess is, is something you can do. Oh yeah, and totally. Mm. And and you know, another thing about that is, uh, you know, if even if you don't get that part, they might. Uh, they might call you in for a completely different part because they liked what you were doing. I mean, that that's what happened with one of the video game uh, things that I that I did. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd I'd auditioned for one part, and uh, then they're like, "Okay, I have, we're we're going with someone else for this one." But then, like you know, six months later, then they then they're like, "Hey, so we'd like to talk to you about a different part," and <laughs> and, and got me for that one. So that's cool. So I've um. I've gone through all my questions. Is there anything else you want to let us know about? We don't know when the next book is coming out, but this one is is available now. Yes, uh, Lilitu, The Memoirs of a Succubus, is available now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 you know a gothic dark fantasy saga that explores succubi and incubi in Victorian England, and hopefully, people who read it will enjoy it. Fantastic! I certainly did. So I can, oh, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you unless, you know, I wanted to recommend it to listeners. I think it's uh, su- yeah, super intricate, well-detailed world. Uh, and like you see, you, you found an interesting way to explore contemporary themes in like a unique past setting that you're obviously very passionate about. So. Well, thank you so much, Leo. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Lilithu, Memoirs of a Succubus is out now with Crystal Lake Publishing. I hope you will check it out. If you want to be on the show, if you want to tell me something about the show, you can always get in touch with me using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. I uh, look forward to hearing from you as always. But that's all from me for this episode. So until next time, bye bye.